Good morning. Man, it's so good to see you all. Um, If I haven't had the opportunity to get to know you or introduce myself, my name is Nick. Um, I have the honor of serving as the community pastor here at Solid Rock. And I was just thinking, it's it's been over six years since God brought my family uh, here. And we started off visiting and we just kept feeling like God wanted us to be here. And we started off as members just serving, saying, God, wherever you need us and want us to be, like, let us be a part of that and be part of that faithfully. And, and just one thing after another through the church and through the elders, you know, God just kept refining our calling and kept equipping us. And, you know, one thing led to another. So here I am standing in front of you guys, recognizing that my story is a story of all, that's all about Jesus. I don't stand up here because of anything I've ever been able to accomplish or do because I look back on my life, there's a lot of people who spoke truth and and Christ and the gospel into my life, and I'm so grateful and thankful for them. And I say all that to you this morning, one, to introduce and let you get to know who I am, but two, as we read God's word today, that is the same God that is active in his word in the Old Testament and New Testament. It is the same God who's been active in my sanctification and redemption as a believer, where God has taken the gross, bad, yucky parts of who I am and has met it with his grace and truth. And uh, it's been wonderful to see those things happen in the really, really good times, but it's also been really good to see God work in those really hard times. But he's faithful. His word is true. The Holy Spirit moves within us and intercedes on our behalf. And so as we go into his word today, let us remember the simple truth that God is who he is, that he is real. He is active. His word is active and living. And his Holy Spirit is moving among us and wants to transform our hearts and take us from where we were as broken and lost sinners to be glorified in a relationship with him for all eternity. And that's why we come together, that's why we sing, that's why we worship, that's why we want to study God's word. And so if you'll join me, we're going to be in John chapter 2. We're going to continue in this series, the Gospel of John. And we've already seen that God has revealed himself as the word that became flesh. We've seen that God sent a messenger in John the Baptist to proclaim and say, hey, make way for the way of the Lord. He is coming and he brings the Gospel of Christ And we saw last week this first miracle or sign that Jesus performed at the wedding where they ran out of wine. And so he took the water, turned it into wine, and he began to reveal a little bit more of his glory to those that were around him. And so today we're going to pick up in John chapter 2, verse 12, and we're going to again see Jesus revealing himself to those who are around him, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Christ, the Savior, the one who has come. And so let's begin in John chapter 2, starting in verse 12. It says, After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. Verse 15, it says, And making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He then told those who sold the pigeons to take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. 
It says his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. It's important in this custom, in this time, that as Jews would come in this pilgrimage to Jerusalem each year for the Passover, they would come and make sacrifice. And it was part of this broken system that because we are sinful people, we needed a sacrifice to make atonement for our sins. And so we sacrificed the pigeon, the goat, the ox, the best of the best to atone for our brokenness so that we may have a relationship with the one true God. But that system was broken. It wasn't enough. The pigeon, the ox, the donkey, whatever you wanted to sacrifice was never going to be enough. They were never without blemish. They would never be able to satisfy the wrath of God. And so what would happen over time is people were traveling from all over and coming and they would need sacrifices. Whether they weren't able to bring it or they lost it along the way, they needed some, some, something to sacrifice at the temple. And so the temple became this marketplace of trade where you could come and buy two pigeons and get the third one free. And you'd be able to practice your sacrifice. But then the other issue was, is you're coming from different regions, you didn't have money that fit the currency. And so you had the money changers who were trading them out. If you've ever gone on an international trip, like outside of Texas, they don't use the same money, <laughs> Right? And so what happened was this, this system, like what was meant to be a place, a temple was meant to be a place where we could be in the presence of God, or at least in close proximity, where he, we were making our relationship anew with him through sacrifice, became this false worship, and it became something that was not meant to be. And so when Jesus comes and he sees the temple full of money changers and people trading and selling, he sees this false worship and he begins to respond in zeal, his righteous anger. And we see him in verse 15 start to make through the whip, the cords, and he's starting to braid them together as he gets ready to drive out the people that are in the temple, misusing the place that God was to dwell. And so it was custom for him to make this pilgrim each year. And what we really want to focus right now on is the fact that this is Jesus' first pilgrimage in his public ministry to Jerusalem for Passover. As we go through John, we're going to see him do it two more times. But on the third time, we're going to see where it ends with his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we see this three-year ministry span. That's how we get that timeline but as Jesus consumed with zeal for his father's house was running out the people, the money changers and those that were selling the animals to be sacrificed. You have to understand that it wasn't just him being righteous in his anger and sending them out to be um, without hope and to be without any uh, restoration or reconciliation. You have to understand that as he's driving them out, he already knows that he's going to be laying down his life for these same people taking on their burden, their shame, their sin, their guilt, their blame, their reproach. So as they're running out of the temple, Jesus is coming as the temple. Amen. We see the disciples see the zeal of Jesus and the, the zeal he had for the purity of his father's house. And they remembered what the Bible said, the Old Testament, Psalm 69, that the zeal for your house will consume me. And we see as we, we see God revealing himself as Jesus, as the Savior, as Son of God, they start to make these connections between what the Bible said about who the coming Messiah would be, and they start connecting, this is the person who said he was coming. 
John the Baptist was doing it. And now we see the disciples are making these connections. That is another moment of Jesus unveiling his glory to the disciples a little more at a time. Jesus cleansing the temple is in our first indication that the Lord has righteous anger towards false worship. We see throughout scripture from the very beginning that God does not have a desire for false worship. That God has been patient, though, in our false worship. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 29. That the Lord has endured with great patience for his people for generations. Starting in verse 13 of Isaiah 29. It says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is commandment taught by men. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Churches, we see God's burning, righteous anger towards his people is just. Even in their worst, he continues to give them the good news of the gospel. He continues to give them good news of hope that he will not leave them where they are. He still gives the false worshiper a hope that is rested in him. If you ever get a chance to do redemption groups with us, I really encourage it because one of the main things that we see through the Exodus story and we see throughout Scripture is that when we are at our worst, God gives his best. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. While we were actively against him, he was actively for us. And so even in our false worship for generation and generation, People after people, we see God continue to give his good news. And so what we want to do today is look at the good news embedded in Jesus' anger towards those in his father's temple. Because see, we see this zeal in Jesus. We see this righteous anger of the Lord. It's a snapshot of the future judgment that God has on false worship, on sin. That he doesn't deal with it lightly. He deals with it appropriately. And the real reality of all this is, is that those who not have put their faith in Christ Jesus, who have sin in their heart, they will be separated. They will be judged with this wrath. They will be separated from God through all eternity. That's, that's where the hell and heaven separation becomes. And it's not just a place that we're wanting to get to. It's a person of Jesus. And with that wrath coming down, those who do not know him, this is the truth of, of the gospel that we need. Is That's the worst of it. That's where we are in our brokenness. We need to recognize the devastation that sin has in our lives. Not only to us, but those around us. The fact that we live in our broken, fallen world exists because of how devastating sin is. But the beauty of God is he brings in the gospel. He brings in the good news that this isn't the best that I have for you. The good news is that I have given myself. We, want, we need to realize what's at stake because we won't fully understand the good news of the gospel until we fully own the brokenness and the fallenness of our sin. Amen. And I say own because it's not just about us saying, I just don't want to go to hell. It's that we need to see our sin the way God sees our sin. We need to take ownership in the fact that we participated in something that was so devastating that to the point that Christ had to die on the cross to make a way for us. It's not just saying, okay, I'll say the prayer and I'll walk the walk. We need to own everything that comes with the sin that we've chosen in our lives. 
because our sin makes God angry and God chooses to pour out that anger on Jesus instead of those who believe when we place our faith and trust in Christ Jesus. Let's pick back up in John chapter 2, starting in verse 18. And it says, So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show for us doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews when then said, it, was, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? They're confused. They've missed it. They're not seeing what Jesus is seeing. They're not hearing what Jesus is saying. We have this commentary from John that says, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. Verse 22, when therefore he was raised up from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. See, the, the Jews missed it. They, they, go, they hear temple and they immediately go to the temple building. What Jesus was talking about was his body, himself. That if you were to destroy this, I will raise it up in three days. And so we start to hear the disciples again make this connection that they remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And we see that again, God is affirming and revealing himself more and more to them, his glory. You have to understand in the temple that there was a place of the Holy of Holy for the presence of God to dwell, but that was not where we were allowed to go. We weren't suited. We were not um, pure. We were not holy to be able to be in the presence of God. So there was a veil that separated us. And so we see this veiled presence of God that is happening. And we see that God's desire is not for us to have just close proximity, but for us to have true intimate relationship with him, just like he started, off, started us off in the Garden of Eden. If we look ahead to God's remedy for this veiled presence, we see in Matthew 27, starting verse 15, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. This is him on the cross. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks split. The thing that kept us from being close in proximity, we are now able to have full intimate relationship with God. He is drawing us near unto himself through the gospel, through his death, burial, and resurrection we are able to be intimately drawn near to him. The temple that was his body torn down in three days rose again. This is now our access to who God is. This is now our access to be with God. Jesus bridging that gap and making it possible, tearing the thing that separated us, our sin, our shame, our brokenness. And it is also how we draw near to God is through Jesus Christ. So God is revealing his glory. God is drawing us near unto himself. And not only that, he gives us his Holy Spirit because he is doing a work in us. So if you were to look at 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, is do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. There's no longer a need for us to make a pilgrimage to a building. There's no longer a need for us to find sacrifice and money changers so that we may make amends with who God is. God has done that for us by drawing us near through his son and now gives us his Holy Spirit 
And because he draws us near, because he's working in us, because he's given us this Holy Spirit, he is now letting us be his temple where he dwells. Jesus tears down the temple by tearing down the old system for being near to God. It's a system built on law. It's a system built on perfect obedience. It's something we can never and will never be able to do. But God is refining us. God is working in us. His blood covered us and made us no longer enemies of God, but even still, he is refining us and purifying us. Jesus is on a mission to make a way for man to be near to God by refining the heart of men and women, placing his Holy Spirit within the heart. We see throughout Scripture where God talks about this refining process, especially with gold, where you heat it up to this ridiculous amount of temperature so that the impurities either burn up or rise to the top so you can remove them. And what's left is this pureness, this refined metal that is precious. And so we see God actively working in us through the Holy Spirit, through his word, refining us, making us more and more like him. The people in this story had a problem seeing things differently. When Jesus talked about himself being the temple, they thought of the building. They missed it. It forces us to reconsider that maybe during our everyday life, we don't always see things the way Jesus wants us to see them. Or maybe that we don't see Jesus the way we ought to see Jesus because we take on our own ideas and our own way of interpreting how things have gone in our life. And we start just trying to put the puzzle pieces together. But I got news for you. And I know this from experience. Broken, fallen minds cannot put together a perfect image. It can't. We need Jesus because we are broken and fallen people. So how many times in our daily routine do we miss moments where God is working or we miss God in a situation because we think that's just not how it's supposed to be or that's not who God is. And we miss it because we don't have an accurate view of who he is and what he is doing. And so we start to ask ourselves in this in this parable or not this parable with this narrative. What's the difference is that if you see the temple as just a building, buildings are not alive and they're not active. I don't want to place my faith and trust in a building. Buildings are measurable, they're predictable, they're controllable. Buildings can inspire us to worship, but they can't call us to repentance. Buildings can host our gatherings, but they never settle our disputes. Buildings can serve as a reminder of who our healer is, but they can never bring healing to our brokenness. They can't fix our marriages. They can't redeem or comfort us in our suffering. That's why we call this new thing a box. It's all it is, is a box. It means nothing. What we need to do is see it through the lens of God and that we see that the body is the temple. In contrast, the Holy Spirit is living and active. We can't control the Spirit. We submit to the Spirit. The Spirit is living in you, calls us to repentance. It calls us to be in unity. It calls us to reconciliation. The Spirit living in you can heal brokenness, can give comfort in times of hard, hard times. It transforms, it redeems. That is the temple that Jesus was talking to. That is the temple that he is refining and drawing us near to. 
So how do we calibrate our eyes to see and hear as God would have us? Is mean we have to have a central and accurate view of who God is. When I say central, I mean orientation. It is everything to us. It is everything to us. And then we need to have an accurate view of the word. I'm going to tell you why. Because having an accurate view of the Bible provides an accurate view of all situations. It allows us to see things through the way we're supposed to, that we live in a broken, fallen world, that people are broken and fallen, that we need a redeemer. And the only solution, the only thing that will take what's broken and make it new again is Jesus Christ. We need to have an accurate view of the Bible because we need to have an accurate view of the situations in our life. We need to have an accurate view of the Bible because it provides an accurate view of who Christ is. So many people think God is just angry. Or they think God is near and doesn't see them in their hurt and their suffering. Or they see him as just some deity who set things in motion and is just now not a part of this picture at all. Or they think that God has promised things that he's unable to or unwilling to do. So we need to have an accurate view of the Bible so we can have an accurate view of who he actually is. Because he has not just been graceful and merciful in the New Testament, he was also that in the Old Testament as well. His righteous anger was expressed in the Old Testament, it was also expressed in the New Testament as well. An accurate view of the Bible provides an accurate view of each other. We need a biblical accurate view of who we are. You ever tried to treat your children in a way that they aren't ready to be treated yet? Like they should know better or they should be at a certain level of maturity? Doesn't work out well, does it? When we walk with each other and we don't have an accurate view of each other through God's word, it's just as bad or if not worse. We need to have an accurate view of each other through an accurate view of God's word. This is why we strive, not perfect, but we strive in our teaching, our preaching, through kids' ministry, through adults, to have an accurate view of who God is. It's important to know this from a young age because you don't want God to be look different when you get older, right? We want him to be consistent because he is the only consistent thing in our life. His love is the only thing that's consistent. His goodness is the only thing that's consistent. His righteous anger is the only thing that's consistent. We want to make disciples for Jesus who are equipped to know and see him in everyday life. The Bible and the Holy Spirit work in tandem to guide our lives and transform us in redemption and reconciliation. And apart from it, it just doesn't happen. Most of you have heard my story. I've tried to transform my life through religious effort and just being good and doing the right thing. And I was miserable. The Holy Spirit, God's word working in tandem is what transforms our life. So in our effort to teach this specific narrative accurately, we need to understand there's two things present here. One, God's righteous anger is foreshadowing his judgment on those who have not placed their faith in Christ. Rightfully so. Sin is devastating. Sin tears up relationships, and most importantly, it destroys our relationship with him. But the second part of this is the good news of the gospel, that he has drawn us near, that he gives us his Holy Spirit, that he's refining what has been impure in our, in our lives and making us more and more like him. 
because he desires desperately for us to have a relationship with him. He desires desperately for us to know him for who he is and reveals his glory. So at this time, I'm going to invite our worship team to come up and we're going to have an opportunity to respond to what God has said in his word. Not what I have said up here, but God has said in his word. And I believe his Holy Spirit is going to reveal things to you. And we want you to have that opportunity to be able to respond however God is calling you to do so. I don't know everybody's story here, but I do know this. If you are in need of salvation, if you're in need of God's good news of the gospel because you have not placed your faith and trust in that, then our prayer partners, our pastors, we want to talk. We want to meet with you. There's not going to be shame. We were all once lost. And we are all now just saved by him, not anything we've done. And you may be here because you have a situation or relationship or something that's broken in your life and you've had a hard time understanding why it's happening or what God's going to do in it because you have an inaccurate view of God's word or have an inaccurate view of who he is and you're just really struggling. It may be your marriage. It may be your job. It may be what you need to do with your life or your purpose in life. I don't know what that is, but if that's you, we want you to come forward as well and have an opportunity to go before the Lord and hear his word spoken to you truthfully. And so let's go before the Lord. We're going to have prayer partners and pastors, so there will be an opportunity. Let's just respond to him faithfully. Father, we love you, and God, we just want to come before you because there is nowhere else for us to turn. Father, I pray deep in our hearts that our desire is that there would be no one else or nothing that we would want to turn to because your word has been true to describe you as a loving, heavenly father who hates sin, but provided a way for our sin to be dealt with by pouring out your wrath on your own son so that we may be reconciled unto you. Father, you are faithful to do what your word says. And I pray that we would be a people who strive after your word and listens to your Holy Spirit because we want to be transformed and redeemed moment by moment, day by day, so that we may have a relationship with you. So Lord, we love you and we pray and ask all this in your son's name.